Colin, the uh, the moment has arrived where we'll we'll go into a little bit more detail and uh, tell us about the next game then. Well, that was obviously last Wednesday uh, when we played Aston Villa, and, and again Villa are in great form, aren't they? They um, and they got they got a few games in hand, and um, Grealish is playing particularly well, and, and um, the uh, the keeper Martinez, who they got from Arsenal. Uh, has made a big difference to them. Talking to some Villa fans, but but they just look at and the, the difference from last season when Villa just about stayed up is, is absolutely staggering. Um, so again, this was a game was a bit you know a bit worried about when the games are coming thick and fast. Um, but uh, well, it was again it was um, a difficult game. Villa came an interestingly a bit like Brighton. They you know they didn't just stick ten men behind the ball and hope to. You know, keep us out or catchers on the break. They actually, they were well. They were solid, and they fell back. But they, again, they came to play football, and um, they kept us out for the best part of eighty minutes. And um, you know, and it looked like, in some ways, it reminded me of the Leicester game from the um, 2018-19 season. You know, where we were, you know, we couldn't really. Leicester kept us out. We we, we weren't really helping ourselves, and it was a bit like that. Uh, and then there was there was a moment of well, the media called it controversy, but it really wasn't very controversial at all. Uh, and the, the first goal came just on seventy uh, ninth minute when um, ball was cleared out to Bernardo Silva, who headed it back. Uh, the, the the Villa goalkeeper cleared it. Rodri was up front. Well, why Rodri was up front, I'm not sure, but um, the the Villa keeper played it out. Bernardo headed it. Uh, Tyro Mings was stood between Bernardo and Rodri and the keeper. And he had the ball gone to Rodri, he would have been offside. No, no doubt about it. Had Rodri uh, been active and, and tried to play the ball, but but Mings intercepted. He chested it down and played it with his foot. Rodri came up from behind him, took the ball off him, and um, played in Bernardo Silva. Who eventually played in Bernardo Silva, who scored an absolute screamer, which again, you know, was his third goal in a few games. Hopefully, he's come back. Uh, and the Villa players, of course, and Dean Smith, the manager, were going absolutely crazy, claiming. Rodri was offside. And even on BT, Peter Walton, their expert in inverted commas, um, claimed that the goal should not have stood. And, and, and you could sort of understand why they were saying that. Rodri had come from um, what we call, we're going to be careful with our terminology. Rodri had been stood in a potentially offside position. And um, the, offside, the offside law has been around for many years, over 100 years. And it has, has changed in that time. Uh, the original uh, law said you have to have three pl- a minimum of three players between the attacking player and the goal goal line. Well, of course, that was very easy for teams to defend against, uh, and the number of goals went down and down. And then, actually, interestingly, the FA had a trial, and, and they tried two different methods uh, simultaneously. One was reducing the the number to two defending players, and the other was that you could only be offside within, I think, 40 yards of the opposition goal. So draw a line halfway, well, halfway, two-thirds uh, through the opposition half, and you couldn't be offside out, out of that um, line. Uh, and the one they went with, of course, was the two, the re- reduction of three players to two. And then, but we had the ludicrous situation where you could be attacking down the right-hand side and a player might be, uh, one of your players, might be an attacking player might be injured down by the corner flag on the other on the other side, not interfering with play, not active in any way. Yet the move could be stopped, could be called offside, which was clearly ludicrous. And then they came up with what's probably the best change they've made to the offside law, 
which was uh, the concept of player being active. So if you remember the old offside track where the defence used to all push up together quickly uh, to catch a player offside, even though he wasn't involved in the play and never liked it. So we've now got the concept of a player has to be active to be offside. So he's got to be either uh, attempting to play a ball, playing a ball, attempting to play a ball, or interfering with a, an opponent who's trying to play the ball. Now, so, so when Bernardo played the ball forward, Rodri was not active. And Rodri didn't become active until Mings had played the ball because he took it off him. Now, uh, I think what the Villa and some of the pundits were talking about was, well, he, come, he gained an advantage by coming back from an offside position. Yet the, the rule has always been that you could only be offside when a player of your own team plays the ball. So the only time that um, Rodri could have been offside was when Bernardo originally played the ball. Yeah. Once that ball, had, and then four, four years ago, December uh, 2017, the rule was brought in that a defender had to deliberately play the ball. So it wasn't enough for a defender for it to brush off a defender's hip or, or, or you know, thigh or off his head. Um, he had to deliberately play the ball uh, to render the attacking player onside. Now, when, when uh, Mings chested the ball down uh, and then played it, uh, he deliberately played the ball. So at no point after then could Rodri have been on offside. What the pundits were arguing, of course, was that was against the spirit of the game. Well, it's nonsense because the... You know the law is quite clear. It's always been it's always been clear that the defending player um, touching the ball invalidates an attacking player being offside. But you know, if, if Rodri had been stood a yard in front of Mings rather than a yard behind him, to me, there's no difference. Once yeah. Mings had played that ball, Rodri was in play and was entitled to play it without being called offside. And the second goal was a fairly straightforward penalty. The ball was played in, and, and Matty Cash, I think it was threw his hands up and handled the ball. Um, and, and, you know, you will not see a clearer penalty than that, many clearer penalties than that. Yet Stephen Manneman, who we, I think we talked about before we started recording, oh, uh, you know, what, 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 what people see in him as a pundit, I have no idea, um, but that could go for a lot of them, said it can't be a penalty because the ball wasn't going towards the goal. Um, now, no. Can you get any more stupid than that? He's just um, something I, I don't want to go, go into in too much detail, but I, I think there comes a point when you have a commentator um, continually, continually, game after game, in which he co-commentates City games, that he, he's just willing the opposition all night. So I think so many Twitter City followers, or Twitterzens as I call them, they've just had enough of this guy. And... Um, <laughs> Uh, you know, I, I tweeted that, that it's, it's time for someone, you know, to have a word with him, maybe, because it's just too regular and and, and too too partisan. But um, I, I guess we could talk about that for a while. He's not the only one. Yes. But, um, yeah. <laughs> so uh, um, that that was the game against Aston Villa. Uh, mind you, has anyone checked on Danny Murphy this morning? Um <laughs> <laughs> Talking um, about so uh, uh, interesting, Danny Murphy talking a load of crap yesterday, and McManaman. It's just something Danny Murphy and Steve McManaman have in common. I I can't quite put my finger on it. Former Liverpool players, Colin. The lovers, they whisper it to to each other at night when in their trysts together. Uh, that <laughs> must be why. All right, that that we're almost up to date, guys. Um. That was 2-0 against Aston Villa. As you, as you pointed out, very, very tricky uh, tie, that one. And uh, that brings us up to um, uh, last night's game. 
against uh, Cheltenham. That was quite interesting for me because um, there was a funny tweet that went up and uh, one of the pundits had said, uh, don't forget Cheltenham were um, 1-0 up for 80 minutes. And uh, and and then the, the list of replies to that was just um, ridiculous. Um, sometimes they invent their own reality after the game, some of these um, commentators. But um, difficult win in, in the end, I think. What did you think, Ray? Yeah, I mean, uh, Cheltenham really put up a good account of themselves. Um, they were one of the hardest teams we played this season, if, if truth be told. Um, they the worked hard. The game at United did in the League Cup, didn't uh, they? Absolutely. Uh, I mean, Cheltenham, look, they didn't give us uh, too much respect, just enough respect, um, and they believed in themselves, and they had the chances, uh, and you could argue they deserved to go ahead. I'll tell you one thing about the game that, that showed me is a lot of the, the City players that um, that played yesterday, I mean, some people say they were playing for the places and whatever and, and their futures. It, it just shows to me how good the first team of City is, how really, really good it is. And that the odd one of these players can fit into that first team and look decent. But I think it's because the first team is really good. That's why that person can slip in. We've seen it. We've seen Delphins in Czech play at left back for two seasons and we won the league title because the rest of the team was so good. So you can get someone, and I'll, I'll, I'll pick uh, any of one of three. You could, I, I, you could pick Jesus, you could pick Mares, you could pick uh, Mendy. When they're playing in the first team and they've got 10 really good players around them, they can get by and they can look quite decent. And when they're put together with other players of the same ilk, like each other, they don't look very good at all. And, you know, I think a lot of City fans were massively disappointed with the display of people like Mares and Mendy. Um, they look at people like Tommy Doyle, who's what, is he 20 years old, Tommy Doyle? Something like that. Um, and the performance he put in at midfield... Uh, it, it was a it was a class above those two guys. Uh, Taylor Howard Bellis working hard at right back, and it's it's a worry. It's a worry that these players, when, when you're asked to play against it, was it a League Two outfit? Yeah, um, you're expecting to. Let's be honest. I mean, you know, our guys are looking at the Champions League, not playing, a, you know, rather than a League Two outfit, and it just shows that you know once again they take it too easy. They think it's a matter of turning turning up and walking away with a win, showing off a few skills. Um, you know, and, and trying to be Flash Harris. And it just wasn't like that. Chapman were an honest football team that give us a proper game of football. Tell you what, though, um, Colin, uh, we've got, obviously, on our books, we've got Liam Delap, but it, fe- it felt like the ghost of Rory Delap in there because there's some, they, have, they, had a, yes. uh, they had a long throw expert, didn't they? Yeah, yeah, yeah. The, the captain who had a uh, Bentoza had an absolutely brilliant game. I mean, let's give Chapman lots of credit. They really, you know, they showed up some Premier League teams who st- who stick ten men behind the ball. They they came out and matched us, you know, toe to toe. And and some of our players were found wanting and didn't fancy it. To to use um, the, the old expression, but uh, and I also like to say before I talk about the, the throw was um, they played the ball on the ground. You know, it was none of this League Two hoofing it in the air for the big lad to chase. Um, that that ball was on the ground for most of the time and. and you know, doesn't it just show the influence that perhaps it's a bit big-headed in saying this, but the influence that Pep has had on the game in in, in this country that a team, you know, a decent League Two team uh, like Cheltenham Town uh, were, were spraying it all over the place on the ground, and and you know the movement was there and the passing was there, and, and all credit to them. But yes, um, you know, 
we've struggled against this long throw a couple of times when we've come up against it. And um, we were found wanting again where, you know, um, long throw came in from the uh, left-hand side. Laporte claimed he was fouled, but, uh, you know, there was nothing that doesn't go on in any average goldmar scramble. Um, you know, th- there was maybe a slight push or pull on him, but, you know, that's what defenders have to accept. And um, I must admit, it seemed to, the ball seemed to kind of hit half the Cheltenham team before it fell to um, in front of Stefan. And I think if you look at it being a bit critical, maybe Stefan Mendy could have got to the ball a bit quicker. But uh, the Cheltenham striker, Alfie May, got his foot in. And what a moment that was for them. I mean, um, you know, it, when you look back, obviously, as a City fan, you felt a bit sick. And they were still actually quite confident we got a win, which we did. But um, what a moment. You know, that's what cup ties were about, isn't it? Well, we, we got the equaliser through Philip Foden um, on the 81st minute. And here's where we get the chance to correct those commentators uh, and say that um, it was uh, actually nil-nil until the 59th minute when Alfie May scored. Uh, but it was not until the 81st minute that we managed to equalise. So three, uh, well, two quick goals, Phil Foden, Gabby J. And then um, at the end, four minutes out, four minutes into additional time, then um, Ferran, Ferran Torres. But um, anybody, anybody particularly impress you? Foden, Foden. You know, he, he, he some of the senior players, um, and I'm, I'm looking at you, Riyad Mahrez and, and, and Ben Mendy, and even Gabby J. Um, you got to hang your head, he, heads in shame. The effort Foden put in, um, you know, he was running the show. He was our one... Uh, shining light in, in that game. You know, others sparkled a little bit. I think we saw some nice touches from Tommy Doyle and bits, bits and pieces. But Ford, in a 20-year-old, running that game, he was our star man. And there was one run that he did in... He took on, I think, five or six players, started in the middle of the pitch, yeah. went out to the right, went down the wing, came back into the box before having a shot. I don't think any other... Well, I know no other City player would have been able to make that run. No Raheem Sterling, no Riyad Mahrez, Bernardo, possibly. But no one does what Foden does for this team. And he's been doing it for for several games now. Um, and it's absolutely magnificent. And so the, the rest of the players need to look at his effort, his enthusiasm, and his calmness and um, his technical skill. He scored a volley. He scored a goal from a volley from a, a nice Cancelo cross. Um, and he was just calm... He placed it. He, he controlled. It was a controlled pass volley past the keeper. Uh, and, and I just think back, uh, it might bring back some bad memories, to a game against Leon When a cross came in, Gabriel Jesus, with the volley, all he had to do was have a decent touch, put it on target, and he fluffed his lines. And they should look at what Phil Foden does and just see how calm he is and try and emulate him because you know, if, if they could play with that level of calmness and composure, they'd be much better players and the effort he puts in is second to none. Mm-hmm. And uh, that, if you can believe it, brings us bang up to date from our, our, our last podcast. Um, and uh, just to just to underline um, the uh, the improvement, um, I was asking Colin just before the game. So the get the, the the last game that we covered on the pod was the the one nil win against Southampton. That was on December the nineteenth. So um, a little more than. Um, a month ago that it's been um, that I've been on the on the injury bench, but um, where, wh- what was what was the league table looking like, Colin, way back then on the nineteenth of December? Right on the nineteenth of December, we were in sixth place at that point. We had twenty three points from thirteen games, 
And we were eight points behind Liverpool, who were top, uh, who played 14 games. So if we won that game in hand, which I think was the Villa game. No, was it? Yeah, the Villa game, which is the first game of the season. So so let's pretend we'd played that and won at that point. So we'd have had 26 points um, and been five points behind Liverpool. And now, of course, the table looks um, somewhat different. Yeah, let's take a look at that table now, guys, because... Um... The situation has changed somewhat significantly. I mean, now, for example, we're four points clear of Liverpool with a game in hand. Um, one one team that um, has had a good run of form has been United because, uh, as I said, we're, we're second and uh, two points behind them. And uh, Leicester City in third um, level on points with us. But again, we have a game in, in hand on on those guys, and then uh, Liverpool, who have in their last five league games have had three draws and two losses. So, um, big change, Ray. Um, happy with it, are you? <laughs> what do you reckon? You got to be happy that you know Liverpool is nice at four points off City. Uh, I hadn't, you know, I haven't really been keeping an eye on the, on the table. Um, to, to think that we could be seven points clear of them if we win a uh, remaining game in hand. They're dropping down the table. I mean, to be honest, I, I'm, I'm liking the idea of Spurs are a point behind Liverpool with a game in hand. Everton are two points behind Liverpool with two games in hand. And even Villa... Uh, but once against us. Well, yeah, well, fair enough. But they, they only need to win one of the two games in hand to, to overtake yep. Liverpool. And even Aston okay. Villa, who got two games in hand, can overtake Liverpool. So, you know, fingers crossed, Liverpool could end up, uh, drop down uh, one, two, three more spots. <laughs> you know, I wouldn't laugh uh, too hard. Uh, drop down to seventh, and but it is is really interesting to see the Liverpool fans, the few of them that do come onto social media, the way they're crying and complaining about this and that. You know, they they blown up uh, smoke up the backside of Thiago, saying he was, you know, he played one and a half games for them, and he was suddenly you know one of the best midfielders in the league, and and all this and that. And they haven't scored a single league goal in 2021. John Stones has got two more goals in Liverpool in 2021 in the league. Uh, I mean, that's how, that's how bad it is for Liverpool. But hey, look, you know, you know, we're not one to uh, laugh at other people's misfortune, are we, guys? Oh, absolutely not. Absolutely not. Well, um, guys, uh, there is nine for the price of one. Nine mini reviews. So uh, you can't say that... Uh, we're skimping and uh, depriving you of um, comments on uh, these games. Just, just quickly, while I'm, um, just before we kind of move on to other things. Yeah. Just been checking. We, we played eighteen games. When we played nine games, we'd won four, drawn three of those, scored fifteen, and conceded eleven. Uh, in our next nine games, what have we done? We're now eighteen games. We've now won eleven, uh, drawn five, still lost two. Are uh, 31 scored and 13 against with 38 points. So in that second nine games, we picked up 23 points out of 27. Mm. We've let in two goals uh, and we've scored eight. Uh, we've scored 16. So it's definitely uh, so far uh, a, 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 well a season of two halves or two quarters. Yeah, so far and uh, uh, the the meanest defence in the league, 13 only 13 conceded and. Uh, uh, the closest sort of rivals to that would be um, Mourinho's uh, Tottenham and uh, Aston Villa, actually. Although obviously they've um, they've only played seventeen games, but um, yeah, I, I guess possibly the only tiny complaint—it's not really a complaint anymore—but 
they could be scoring just a little bit more. Obviously, they're, they've got 31. United have got 36. Leicester, 35. Liverpool, 37. But um, from the evidence that we've seen over the reviews that uh, we've been giving you, uh, we're coming back, uh, guys. And uh, um, possibly the form team in the league, would you say? <laughs> you can't argue about that. You know, yeah. Man United and City have got to be the form teams in the league. Everton are on a decent run as well. Won four of the last five, but you know to win five out of five uh, and, and probably a bit more than that with, with conceding so few, it's fantastic. The BBC show the last results of the last five league games, and we're the only one who've won all five. Mm-hmm. You've got United who dropped a couple of points. They've drawn one of those games. Uh, Leicester have drawn a couple, but won the last three. Liverpool, not that we're ones to laugh, have got three points out of their possible <laughs> fifteen. Sweet. Uh, and the interesting one, um, West Ham have picked up three wins out of five, as have Everton. Arsenal uh, on a bit of a run, uh, four wins out of five. Mm-hmm. Um, but you look at a team like Newcastle, who've lost four out of, well, the last four games. Wolves are on a really dismal run, not picked up a win in the last two points in the last five games. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. Southampton, who were doing so well, have lost, uh, who have only picked up five points out of 15. Mm-hmm. Chelsea, four points out of 15. So, you know, the, the, the runners and riders are starting to, you know, the field start to separate. And we're starting to see who the um, runners and riders are a little bit. Beginning to see, you know, not, you know, perfectly likely, but a, a bit of a gap opening up there for the relegation candidates as well. Obviously, Sheffield United, but West Brom and um, Fulham. Now, interestingly, guys, Perhaps you could uh, remind our supporters what our next two games are. Yep. Well, our next two games are on Tuesday, we're away at West Brom. And then on Saturday, we're at home to Sheffield United. Well, there you go. They're 19 and 20 in the league. Um, And um, you don't want to count your chickens, but um, I'm tempted to count my chickens, guys. How about you? No, <laughs> never do that. We're, we're City fans, Mike. We don't do things like that. We just take them as they come. And I, I, and I hope Pep sticks to his word and just looks at the next game and focuses on winning the next game. And that's how I see it. you just got to keep, you know, keep your eyes on the next game because once you look ahead and, you know, rotate a little bit, I, I just think that's asking for trouble. Just keep your eyes on the prize. Next game is all that matters because... You know, you got to remember that in after we played Sheffield United, we got a game at Anfield against Liverpool, and I'd much rather go into that game with uh, at least the four point lead that we've got, or hopefully more, than to you know to drop another two points against West Brom would be criminal at this stage of the season. Well, guys, now I guess we should enter into the the the, the final part, which is extraneous matters or extra matters, and um, I'd like to just kick us off and and ask him: um, Is this Aguero's last season for Manchester City? Do you think? Who, Who? Mr. Aguero? Sorry, I haven't heard his name for so long. He hasn't been on the pitch. He's hardly <laughs> played retired. For this yeah, yeah, he's hardly played for us this season. Sad, sad. Somebody in the summer, this you know, I think the focus, and I've, I've spoken to so many people now who said the same thing the focus was on Messi, and some of these people have links to the clubs to, to, to Man City. The focus was so, solely on Messi, they thought they had him. We didn't look for an, another striker because you know, can you imagine Messi playing in this city team, um, you know, in, in, up front somewhere uh, along the front line or as a false nine? And 
the, the club knew Aguero was going to start the season injured. They knew how long he was going to be out for. Uh, OK, they probably didn't envisage he'd be out for this long, but they knew they were taking a risk with a 32-year-old striker. Gabriel Jesus was the only other recognised, um, <laughs> I use that in inverted commas, recognised striker at the club and the first team. And if something happened to him, and it did, we, we, we'd have a problem. Um, and it's, that's my d- worry is that we haven't looked at that replacement for Sergio. If, if I don't think it's his last season. I think he wants to have a season at least with his mate Messi. But it's, it's a worry that he hasn't played pretty much uh, this season. He's, the few minutes he's got in games haven't really uh, amounted to much. And there will be a concern that whether it's injury, recurrence of an injury, a new injury, being close to someone who's had COVID or being in contact with them and then going down with it, it just seems to be one bit of bad luck after uh, the next. And, you know, we've, we've shown this season, you know, it's a hard thing to say. We don't need him. We, 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 I would like love to have him available, but we've shown that we can cope without him. The same way we can't, we cope without KDB that season or when um, Fernandinho was injured for three months. You know, we can cope without one star player, um, but I think that's the limit. You, you, you know, it's going to be really tough now. We've got, obviously, we've got six weeks without KDB. Um, and you'd love Aguero to be available because you, you, you do still need your senior players. People like Fernandinho and Aguero and KDB, you need them playing in Gundogan. Um, so I'm just desperate for Sergio to come back. I think if I'm right, he might be available for the for the Liverpool game, but I suspect at best on the bench. All right, uh, guys. Uh, any other um, extra matters that we could um, finish off with? Yeah, well, there's a couple which which we talked about pre-show. Um, one is the this again. It surfaced the proposed European Super League, mm-hmm. which Talk seems to, to be a um, Whereas previously FIFA were pushing the idea of their expanded Club World Cup, this seems to be a completely independent from anyway from the um, FIFA or UEFA proposal. Of course, involving the American clubs, the Glazers supposed to be behind it, uh, and, and it's about a number of clubs. How many is it? I don't know. Um, looking to form a European Super League. I think you get fifteen uh, or sixteen permanent members and four or five yep. invited. Uh, looking to form a European Super League in addition to playing in their domestic leagues. Um, the, the money, the, the, the uh, alleged money on offer is eye-watering and you think that a lot of clubs, particularly uh, when we've all been, uh, all clubs have been affected by COVID, loss of revenue, um, would, would be looking very seriously at it. Um, but of course, the, the authorities, both UEFA and FIFA, have said that any treated it as a bit of a carry packer thing that any player who goes to play in the Super League will not play in their competition. So uh, obviously it replaces, it's a threat to UEFA because basically it replaces the Champions League uh, or, or it takes most of the clubs who you would expect to be in the last 16 out of that equation. Um, FIFA's plans for a Club World Cup obviously impacts that because they were throwing big money at it. Or, or, or the reports where they were planning to throw big money at it. And, and you do wonder what impact we'll have on the domestic leagues. My, my, my concern is for FIFA, actually. By, by saying this, and they said you, you won't, basically you won't be able to play in the World Cup and everything else um, if you go along um, and play in this new breakaway um, uh, Super League. The, the concern for them is there'll be 20 teams in that Super League, uh, each with a squad of about, let's say, 25. So you could have... 500 of the best players in the world playing in that European Super League. And at the end of the day, money talks. When you're looking at 
six clubs getting somewhere in the region of 350 million euros just for taking part. They're going to be very keenly interested. That's a lot more than you get for taking part in the Champions League. If you win the Champions League, uh, you might get about 150 million in total or something like that, you know, 120, 130 million euros in total. And they're offering these clubs 350 million euros just to take part, the, the top six. Um, not sure if that would include us or not. So that's a hell of a lot of money. And then the other teams um, will share the remainder of the pot, which is about, I think it'll average um, 100 million. That's about 14 clubs will share just over a billion quid. So it's, it's still about 70, 80 million euros per club, which is still a heck of a lot of money. But the risk is if you've got all the best players there who are going, who are going to go for the money, you know, and they're worried about the World Cup, they'll just set up another World Cup because the businessmen, the people behind this breakaway Super League will look at it and say, you know, we will offer the players something to replace the World Cup so they still feel they're playing international football. It's going to make a mess of all, um, you know, um, individual countries' FAs. But the players will go for the money. And then, this, if you think about it, you're, you're a, a big sponsor. And, now, and let's say you sponsor the World Cup. For, you put 100 million uh, euros into the World Cup uh, as a sponsor. Your, your MasterCard or somebody or Visa, whoever sponsors FIFA. You've got a choice of going with the old guard of FIFA and sponsoring um, um, you know, their World Cup. Or you've got this new... You know, I, I give the example before the show. France versus Brazil. Do the sponsors want to be... Uh, putting the money towards a game involving Pogba and Neymar in the new World Cup or the old World Cup where you've got people you've never heard of. All the stars are in the European uh, Super League. All the stars will be in that World Cup as well. And the sponsors will just say, well, what's the point of putting the money into FIFA? And this, you know, FIFA and UEFA have got to take a stand um, but they have to do a stand, you know. I, I don't like like they did with cricket, and obviously that's a long time ago. The Kerry Packer World Series of cricket, and, and things have changed. But they found a way to, you know, sideline him and in, and offer the players more money. And maybe this is something that's going to have to be done again, where they have to think better than what they're doing. Because I just think this this is asking uh, for, a, a, as I said, a new. Um, governing body to be formed. They'll have, you'll have two competing governing bodies, and at some point, FIFA will disappear, or they'll be, become they'll go into the background and be so insignificant. Well, and I think that's the that's the immediate danger, isn't it? That um, you know, because UEFA and FIFA, UEFA get all their money from the Champions League and the Euros. Um, FIFA get all their money from the World Cups. Um, so, so there's a huge financial danger to both those organisations. You know, would any of us really cry ourselves to sleep to see you away from FIFA humbled, mind you? Uh, I don't know. But for me, the longer term danger is, is towards the domestic leagues. Because if you get, you know, if you get games, you know, like United, City, Liverpool playing the, the Barcelona's Real Madrid's, um, Atletico's, Bayern Munich's, or, you know, those sort of teams every week and they're getting well paid for it, you think um, that their attitude towards, the, say, the Premier League and playing the, you know, the West Broms and the Fulhams, the Sheffield Uniteds, they might think, why are we, why are we bothering? You know, so, so, so those games will become like League Cup games mm-hmm. where you turn out the kids uh, and the value of the domestic league gets devalued. Uh, and, uh, you know, if, um, if a broadcaster is looking to pay money out for um, a, pre- a devalued Premier League compared to a super high-powered European league, they're going to put the money into the Super League. Uh, and, and it's a shame because it's it, it's just a, a almost like the, the ultimate example of how the, the fans who go to games 
are almost being ignored. Uh, the fans who watch from their armchairs are now the new currency. So, so I think ultimately, uh, you know, uh, there may come a situation where the domestic leagues um, they lose money, uh, or, or, or they're they're not attracting the same um, revenue that they're currently getting that the Premier League are currently uh, getting in the, the five billion pounds a year. And uh, you know, the, the the bigger earning clubs in the European Super League see the domestic league as irrelevant, and and the whole thing. Uh, the whole Super League then becomes the league. Um, and of course, but the, the other side of looking at it is it's a preemptive strike because UEFA are talking about changes to the Champions League, which actually they're, they're talking about the Swiss model where you get um, a, a kind of slightly different um, outlook where you get, I think, five group games instead of um, uh, the three. Uh, the, sorry. Yeah. Five, is it five group games or? Ten group games instead of six, something yeah, like that. Six, no, five five nine, nine instead of six. Le- leagues of ten, yeah. isn't it? So, so five instead of six. So it's much more like the NFL model. Uh, and then the top seeds, top seeds play the bottom seeds, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. So I don't think that's necessarily a bad idea uh, if it livens up the Champions League a bit. So you know we don't get these dead rubber games you get in games five and six quite often. You know, so, so it may be just a stalking horse to make sure that, that the clubs get their way in the Champions League, but. Uh, you know, a, a European Super League, I think, is the, the death knell for football, to be honest. Well, guys, we are 81 minutes, uh, n- nearly 82 minutes into this uh, monster pod. So that means there are only eight minutes of normal time left. Um, time maybe for one or two final items. Pep, Pep was asked, uh, Pep, uh, as an aside, yesterday, Pep was asked, uh, oh, a few days ago, a long, long-winded question about the fact that Guerrero's out and you need, you know, you need a strike. Will you be going into the market in January for a, a new striker? Pep's one-word answer: No. That's it. Uh, so I, I don't think we'll be getting anybody in in January. You know, I think if we were, we'd have done it already. Personally, I'd have liked to have had somebody else in just to freshen things up because it's a tough old season, and you know, obviously. Um, you know, players out getting injured all the time, going down with injuries, and uh, you know we lost in the, um, in the last game, we, uh, the Villa game, we lost Walker and KDB um, straight after hearing that Aguero had got uh, COVID nineteen. So you know, I, I personally would have liked to, uh, at least another body just to freshen things up. Uh, uh, Colin, I, I I couldn't interest you in a in a perhaps a six month loan for Diego Costa, <laughs> who's free. You know, yeah. I'm I'm not sure he's our type of player, but yeah, uh, people talk about Danny Ings, interesting one. But no, I I think we're okay. You know, obviously you could always do with more reinforcements, but we're up to our up to our limit in foreign players, seventeen foreign players. I, so. thought, I thought we've got spare in the foreign player. Uh, no, I, I thought. Let me just check. We we can just check. Chat about it. Yeah, I, I we've I, got. I thought I heard Lloyd Scrag of ninety three twenty talking about that and mentioning that perhaps we had um, one free spot. We've uh, we've got uh, foreign players: Aguero, Ake, Bernardo. Ake's homegrown, isn't he? Chelsea. Yeah, Ake's homegrown. Is he homegrown? Oh right. So yeah. maybe I've miscounted. So we've got Aguero. We're well, going from the Bernardo, back. We've got Zach Stefan, Edison, Edison, Fernandinho, Torres, Jesus, Jesus. Um, Gundogan, Cancelo, Laporte, Mares, Mendy, uh, twelve, Rodri, thirteen, Ruben, fourteen, Stefan, fifteen. 15. 
I mean, we've got 15 uh, um, non-homegrown. I I make it 15. Torres is only 20, yes, you're so right. he's an under yeah, 21. Yeah. So I make right, it. We've yeah. only got 15. Obviously, right. next season Torres will, will will not be under 21. He'll be uh, part of yeah. the uh, you know, squad. So I think we've got. Okay, this, so we, oh, yeah, we have. Sorry, yeah, we have got space. space in but it could only be it could only be a forward, really, couldn't it? We don't need anyone else. Yeah. No, I I think you know you, you, we shouldn't be crying for another defender. We've got plenty, and we've got Laporte and Aki who've been injured for a while. Midfield seems to be purring. Obviously, losing KDB is, is a bit of a bummer. But yeah, I just think that's going to give. You know, we should be back by. Um, wasn't there? Wasn't there some? Did I read something about Carson and uh, some speculation that um, we want to keep him, but um, the team he's on loan from, yeah, it's, yeah um, they don't want to do it, or they want to pay. Yeah, the more money. Or... Here's the silliness of that. That whoever put that story. Out. Carson's, in, if I remember correctly, is this is his last year of his contract with Derby. So he'll be a free agent and at the end of the season anyway. I think Derby just want a fee for him because he's, you know, they, they don't want to lose him for, for now. Um, and you know, I think they'd like a, a little bit of money for him. But he, if I'm right, he's got he's a free agent and um, Pep's happy with him. He's not likely to play ever. Um, and some people say, well, why don't you put a kid there? Well, then you're taking a kid out of games. You, you'd have a kid who wouldn't be able to play in the EDS, for instance, you know, in our academy. Uh, Carson's happy to be a third choice keeper, like Richard Wright. If you remember a few years ago, he picks up a million pounds a year not to play for City. I think Scott Carson's very happy with that role, and I think Pep's happy to have him around for his experience. Uh, it's a win-win all round. That's a good one, guys. Um, fantastic. And um, we'll divide this into two parts, halves, and uh, a, a bit of uh, extra time uh, as well. So uh, there you go, guys. Um, we hope that we have brought you up to date. And uh, let's uh, thank our two fantastic contributors before we go. You've been listening to Mr. Prestwich Blue, the king of the kickbacks man, Colin Savage. Thank you so much for all those contributions. Well, it's good to be back. It's good to be back. I think I know a song about that. But uh, <laughs> you've also been listening to the amazing Ray from... Uh, that sounds like a ma- magician, doesn't it? The amazing Ray from um, <laughs> City uh, Fan TV uh, on uh YouTube. Um, thank you so much, Ray. Oh, it's been a pleasure. And as to, to coin a song, uh, as a city and now improving things can only get better. That's it for us, guys. And uh, we ende- we will endeavour to make sure that you don't have to wait so long for another blast of Bolt from the Blue. So until next time, let's finish off in the normal way by saying, have one on us and up the blues. <laughs> It's about time that you're mine